podcasting from Chico, California, tucked in between some of Northern California's best freshwater fisheries. This is the Barbless Podcast, a podcast about NorCal fly fishing, guiding, fisheries management, and sustainability. If you have ideas or any questions for the show, leave the guys a voice message on the Barbless Podcast hotline, area code 530-636-2523. Also check out http colon slash slash podcast.barbless.co, where you can download past episodes and show notes. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at barbless.co and connect with them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash barbless.co. Here's your hosts, Chad Alderson and Nick Hanna. Fish on. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Barbless Podcast. NorCal, how we doing tonight? Chadley? Doing pretty good. Chad. <laughs> hey, um, have you been fishing? Yeah, been yeah. I know you've been fishing. Yeah, I haven't even been fishing. Yeah, I went to the upper sack, and Did pretty good. Not a lot of grabs, yeah. but the ones that were there were were uh, toady for the upper sack for sure. Nice. Yeah, I uh, actually I took a guy trip out on uh, on the weekend, and I had a father and son in my boat, and um, floated them down the low flow of the feather, and I think we hooked. Kid was nine. It's never fly fish for steelhead we we hooked uh 15 fish and landed eight yeah he looked like he was having a good time <laughs> he, was, he was having so much <laughs> was it, it was pretty cool i had a good time was just it was it, it bumper boats out there where you know it wasn't that day it wasn't i don't know why um maybe because the weekend you know people were afraid of the weekend warriors they weren't out there but um the fishing was phenomenal we were getting them on everything you know nymphs and eggs and uh, all kinds of different Cheetos, Cheetos, yeah, Cheetos. I were working. I've seen those in your fly box. This is a this is an awesome time of year. Um, we have steelhead coming into the system. The trout and steelhead are eating the eggs behind the salmon, um, so it can it can be a really um, just successful day on the water. I know I always I've been bad on it in the past, but if you guys are going out and fishing for these fish, try to be careful. I mean, this is an asset for the guides and, um, just a a precious resource for us going forward. And with the drought and everything going on, it's been a death of a thousand cuts for all these fish. So try to, uh, you know, if you're pegging beads, which a lot of people do, um, try to keep that distance short between the hook, use small hooks. Why is that? We've seen a lot of fish just with their their faces ripped off, you know. And if you use a big hook, hard to, <laughs> yeah, two face fish. Yep, yeah, you saw that thing. Yeah, um, it's nasty. So just a, just a food for thought, you yeah. know. I don't. I think a lot of people. And the other thing is the reds. There's a lot of reds out there. Um, mine the the bright colored rocks. Um, those are the ones that have been worked on by the salmon. Um, you know, the beds are pretty. They're pretty sturdy. That you know that it's hard to mess up with the eggs in there. But um, it's always a good idea just to keep, especially you, Chad, going freaking Godzilla six five, yeah, three hundred. Watch those reds, man. Hey, um, <laughs> so I got, I got a couple funny stories. I don't know if they're funny stories, but they're interesting stories. I think um, on the, when we were up on the upper sack. So I took um, Jason Colabove, that one of the owners of of Crush here in Chico. Crush. Jason Crush. Um, so he and I went, and a, a couple weird things happened. Like one. We were fishing and, you know, you're, you know, you're in the moment. You're not really paying attention to everything around you. And we're just kind of fishing. And we walked up on this baby, baby bear cub. Ooh. And, um, 
it was across the stream, but it, it was weird. It was just, I think it was sleeping, kind of laying in the water, like halfway in the water, Probably just scared. lounging in the, in the sun. They're usually more afraid of humans. He and woke up and just bolted now. and scared the hell out of both of us. And he went up the side and then immediately, you know, what am I, th- what, are, what is your next thought when you see a little bear cub? Mm-hmm. You know, so we start looking around for mom and we didn't see her, but, um, so that was that story. Nice. Um, the other, the other thing was when we, um, were heading home, we saw a bald eagle, which was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You bury a yeah. city slicker. I know. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen one in, in quite some time. Well, uh, coming up, we got, um, on this episode, uh, Eric C came down and had a little chat with us. It's pretty, who's, who's Eric C? Eric C. Works for a Department of Water Resources. You probably saw him uh, on TV quite a bit uh, in regards to the spillway. When the everyone fiasco. thought the uh, valley was going to flood and we yep. were all going to die. Yep. So he, he talks in detail about um, you know what happened, the current situation of the dam, and uh, going forward, and, and a little bit about the, the trout and steelhead that are, are there. Um, pretty yeah. cool story about you know the hatchery. It was, I didn't know that, but the, they actually plugged into a, a fire hydrant and use some of that fresh they, water. They MacGyvered the shite out of that one. Yeah, use the fresh really water, and there, that was chlorine water, so they had to filter that to get it, and then get it in the hatchery. And they did and, this all within like 48 hours, apparently, yep. too, which was pretty cool. And the so end result was... Props to the, that a, team that did that. A lot of uh, fish um, are still there. Uh, they're actually going to use a lot yeah. of them into the and put in the uh, afterbay. So cool. Pretty, well, pretty cool episode. Let's take a listen. All right, man. Tonight we have Eric C. on the show. Uh, Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Eric has a BS in freshwater fisheries biology from Humboldt State University. He's also environmental program manager at the DWR office here in in Oroville. Uh, Eric also sits on the board of directors for the Chico area fly fishers, and he's also a a board director on Hooked on Fishing, Not Drugs program here in Chico. Eric, thanks for coming in. And with that, and it was a rocky start, but Nick, I'll turn it over to you. It's all right. The rest will go smoothly, huh? I certainly hope so. <laughs> Eric, it's been a long time, man. Thanks for uh, coming in. Appreciate you it. Bet, I, was, I was thinking about it before you came in that our relationship started when I worked at the Chico Fly Shop. Yes, that's right. You know, you were always coming in and getting flies, getting ready for your fishing trips. Have you been fishing? That's one of my uh, first questions for a guest. Have you been I, out I have. I've actually been out twice in the last uh, five days. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. It's, it's good the, for me lately. On the feather? Uh, fished the feather on uh, Friday and then went up and fished the uh, the sack uh, through Redding on Saturday. Okay, great. It, both are fishing well, right? Did well, have, not for know? us. We didn't oh, do really? It. Yeah, we fished the, low fl- or, uh, the high flow section on the feather river. Turns out most the fish right now are in the low flow sections we found out from talking to some guides that had drifted down yeah and uh but it was nice it was a beautiful day um, right That's and what's uh, all you can ask for yeah, is getting then, out on the water yeah and sack we got a few fish in but it wasn't wasn't great i took a, a father and son uh, this last sunday and we did really well R- really well i mean oh, good. I, the nine-year-old caught his first steelhead he's ever caught all by himself cast you know just kind of roll casting out off the boat and then uh, i think we hooked i don't know 14 15 fish oh excellent landed and you eight. said you saw a lot of tore up ones right yeah, they were. They had been a little bit abused. Yeah, for sure. A lot of fishing pressure on on that river yeah, right now. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Um, yeah, a few weeks ago, I took my wife out and she caught her first steelhead. Oh, really? Down the high flood zone. So that was great. That's awesome. I know. I know. It's, that's it's, a long time coming. <laughs> it is was a long time coming. That's for sure. But she uh, she was thrilled and she caught several other fish too. And uh, yeah, it was great. Nice big uh, big hen. That was about. 22, 23 inches long. Oh, jump, no, jumping out of the water. Eric, you know what's going to happen on Thursday. She's going to be like, what are we doing this weekend? <laughs> I hope so. 
I so, hope so. Um, yeah, there's a lot of hatchery fish in there, but we'll, we'll get to that. So t- okay. tell us a little bit about yourself, Eric. Where, where did, how did you get started in biology and end up at the DWR? Well, um, wow, boy, going back a few years. I, this uh, coming up in March um, of 2018 will be 25 years uh, working here in Orville for wow. the Department of Water Resources. Um, yeah, I, I uh, was. I knew I'd be doing something, you know, outdoors related. Um, early on, I was uh, looking at park management, but uh, didn't really. Uh, when I got into it, it was a little more, uh, a little too much, uh, being um, just a um, law enforcement, and uh, that didn't appeal to me as much as uh, the biology side of things. Right, and so, right. got to Humboldt, and they have a great fisheries program up there. Um, I picked Humboldt because there were six rivers within about an hour's drive of, uh, of campus, so I knew it would keep me busy, and it did. That's the only reason? Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, it's not the only reason. You know, it's a good, good fishery school, too. Very good fishery school, yes. Did you swim with a lot of salmon and steelhead I did. up there? I did. I volunteered and you know, was, was involved in lots of, uh, you know, in addition to the uh, just you know, your academic uh, program. It's a great thing about Humboldt. There's a lot of ways you can get additional experience, right. you know, going out doing stream surveys. And if you're willing to, you know, be a, a gopher or, you know, you can go out with grad students, and there's all sorts of, you know, great opportunities up there. So, uh, yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed myself and you know, learned a lot about the business and uh, of just, you know, biology and, and um, working uh, in the, the restoration field. And, uh, yeah, I decided that was definitely where I wanted to go. I um, always figured I was going to work for the Department of Fish and Game. And, uh, you know, but along came this, uh, the, you know, when I was, it was interviewing. I, well, my, my first year out of college actually was did work for the Department of Fish and Game as a, mm-hmm. as a um, scientific aide up in uh, Reading out of their um, the Reading office in Region 1. Oh, neat. And, uh, yeah, I was, was interviewing around. I interviewed for some, uh, some uh, fishing game positions, and this uh, DWR position came up doing you know, fisheries biology work at Lake Orville and uh, got, was offered the job and uh, been here ever since. Amazing. That's awesome. We, i got to congratulate you. On, you've done, you know, obviously you've been in the limelight a little bit this last year, and I think you did an amazing job dealing with all that. I mean, oh, thank you. Yeah, it was a little <laughs> more than I ever uh, bargained for. You got a little <laughs> yeah. national exposure there. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was, it was an exciting time, that's for sure. Uh, you know, as, as a branch chief at the, at the uh, Orville Field Division, you know, each branch chief has its own role when we implement our in- incident command team. Mm-hmm. And so my role is the, uh, the public information officer because I have some experience with that with my, uh, my job now because we, we work a lot on recreation programs and do a lot of uh, work with uh, local, you know, local Orville community and uh, our, our um, you know, Department of Parks and Recreation and, and right. others. So, you know, I, I've probably more experience than, uh, than the other, other branch chiefs at the field division. So that was my role. And so we get a little bit of you know uh, training in that uh, regard as far as what incident command teams are all about, but it was nothing that you know got us prepared for what we uh, what we ran into, and especially on the public information office side, um, you know it wasn't just talking to a few reporters. It was uh, you know we just got absolutely inundated when this uh, story you know went you know went across the United States and. You know, I, I even, you know, one point was uh, interviewed by the London Times and some, uh, <laughs> you know, representative from a, um, a, um, a uh, it was a phone interview with someone from a, a newspaper in Turkey, an English-speaking newspaper in Turkey. Whoa. So it was, uh, it was, it was really interesting. And, you know, the, you know, it's around the clock. I mean, you, you could work right. as much as you wanted. We were there at 11 o'clock at night getting phone calls and, you know, just had to try to defer. You were sleeping and you were in Norville? Uh, well, I, I did come back each night. I, I never <laughs> actually spent a night in Norville. The night of the evacuation, I thought I was going to get, uh, I was going to get stuck over there. I, mean, I was looking for, you know, what little corner I could, you know, uh, I, I could curl up in. Right. Um, my office was actually part of the, the inundation zone, potentially. The, you know, so we actually were in, evacuated from our incident command center for a little while. Wow. So, uh, so anyways, yeah, fortunately though, by, by about one o'clock, you know, we, we had brought the water off of the emergency spillway by, I think it was about 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night. 
So at that point, you know, the, the, the real big part of the emergency had been abated. Now we didn't know what the weather was going to do, you know, it could start raining again and, and you know, we might right. have a problem. So, uh, the evacuation order stayed in place for a, a day or two, but, um, yeah, later on that night, I was actually able to get home and get a few hours of sleep before I had to be back. It was, it was so. so amazing just dealing with that on, like you said, on a national level and I, people calling me from out of state saying, what's going on, you know, are, are you in that path? And, and obviously everybody was scared and, and mad and saying things that, you know, I was just like, oh my gosh, like this is ridiculous. You know, like, these guys are professional. They're doing, doing their job. I was just impressed. You guys, you guys did a good job for, I'm sure how much other things were coming your, coming your oh, way. You know? How, what, what caused it? Like, did, have you guys, have they figured that out yet? Do they have like forensic teams that go in and, and, and do that stuff? And like, yes. what's the methodology? Like, there's nothing left. So it's like, where do they even start? Like, how do you, you know, if a fire happens in a house, you can always, the, you know, the person comes in and they know like the hot spot in the house and then, oh, it came out of the furnace or whatever. And then it spread here, but there's still physical evidence. And like with the spillway, it's just, there's nothing there. So how did they, how did they do that? Well, you know, we'll find out very soon. I think within about a week or so, the forensics team is supposed to be releasing their um, their report. So they actually have a forensics team. Yes. Okay. So um, early on when this this happened, um, the uh, working with the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission and the Division of Safety of Dams, the Department of Water Resources um, hired a, a team of independent experts. So we went to a, a couple of different... So let me back up. We were required to, you know, hire a, an independent forensics team. And um, they set up a list of criteria. These people couldn't be DWR employees, of course. They couldn't right. have worked for DWR as a consultant. I mean, there was all these criteria. So any conflict of interest exactly. thing is like, okay. And so, so DWR went to the um, a couple of, uh, of na- nationwide um, civil engineering um, organizations um, to uh, get recommendations on. Um, and they got a list of, of names to pick. And they went through this process and, and selected this uh, this panel. So they um, are um, have been working um, since that time. That was in the uh, late uh, spring when that, uh, I believe, when it was... Uh, when the team was hired. And so um, they've been working on this all summer long, reviewing all sorts of things. You know, the data was collected, you know, know, video camera data, uh, photographs, um, maintenance records, all, all sorts of things. And so that's what the report's going to be coming out very soon. Um, about a month and a half or so ago, they uh, released a memo that um, provided some preliminary um, findings that they had uh, had uh, discovered, but it wasn't the, the final report. Mm-hmm. So what we're expecting, I think it was the 15th, um, they were um, talking about releasing the uh, the final report. So it's almost like um, getting a tax audit, and they'll just go, they, it's not, they don't look at the day of the event, they go actually back oh, yes. and just look at the, Absolutely. yeah, that, which totally makes sense. And they've, they've done interviews with, uh, you know, DWR yeah. Personnel and other you know maintenance folks and you know I, I, it's it's a very in depth um, analysis that they're they're doing um, and you know early on they actually went through and they um, listed out a, a series of uh, potential failure modes um, you know these you know, they basically they said it probably was one of these um, types of things that you know caused the uh, the um, event to happen um, and so that way they could build that into the design of basically what they've been working on all summer as far as the big construction project so the construction project covers that whole list of, of possibilities. And so, you know, in a way, they kind of overbuilt it, but they needed to do that because we knew that we had, a, you know, a window of time to, to, to work, and then we had to be ready for the coming winter. Because Which is amazing. I've seen time-lapse videos. I can't believe how fast that, that project got was completed. Yeah, it, it was. It was you know, I'm certainly no expert on the construction, but I, I know it was one of the largest uh, construction efforts that went on in the United States this year, if, if not the largest. Yeah, 24 my, hours a day, my, seven my, days my, a week, right? My cousin works out of uh, Yuba City, and he actually did, I think it was heavy, heavy equipment on that, that oh, yeah. project. It was crazy, man. The helicopters flying everywhere with big bags of whatever they had. In oh yeah, that was that was during the response. Yeah, that was uh, it, that was yeah. 
that was that was an amazing effort. Yeah, just how quickly they were yeah. able to mobilize and get all the rock up there, and you know, it it, it was. Uh, you know, that, that, that was amazing just how much they were able to do in such a small amount of time and just the, the agency coordination. And, you know, it was uh, we, we just had incredible help from from everybody, you know, all, all of the different state and federal agencies, counties wanted to you know assist. And so, uh, yeah, that, that's what made it work. That's why we were able to get that uh, get done what we were able to get done in that time frame. Yeah. So what's uh, what's it looking like going forward as far as the flows coming out of the out of the dam? I mean, a lot of, I know a lot of fishermen might be thinking about that with the sure. steelhead fishing and sure. We just increased the flows on the low flow channel just in the last uh, few days, so it's oh, up wow. to about a thousand cfs, which you know from a fishing standpoint is I think it's a beautiful flow. Yeah, it's it's swinging flies agree. and you know it's, yeah. it's for a lot of a lot of ways it it's, uh, opens up the river a little more. It usually runs at six hundred to eight hundred cfs, right? Right. Normally for right. So yeah. the minimum flow on the low flow channel is six hundred cfs, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, when the new license is issued, we have a new flow regime. It's actually going to be uh, the minimum is going to jump up to 800 CFS for a portion of the year and then 700 CFS for the uh, like the, the summertime period. But during the, you know, the spawning and rearing period, it's uh, 800 CFS. Oh, great. Awesome. Um, so um, for the last few years, um, because of some trouble we had at uh, Thermalito Power Plant, we have that, that power plant's been offline. That so actually, burnt down, right? That one? That was yes. Yeah. yeah. So we had a fire in the power plant. And it, it contaminated the, the whole plant. So uh, they've, right. they've been uh, rebuilding. Actually, next year we'll be getting a unit back. And then shortly after that, we'll be getting the rest of the plant back. But um, in the meantime, because we were bypassing flows, we actually been running that uh, that flow um, down the uh, you know the flow that we're going to do in the new license. We've been running down the uh, the low flow channel. So, um, but right now, you know, just just uh, with, with some discussions we've had with uh, um, our uh, our uh, state and federal fisheries biologists, um, they they made a request that we uh, increase flows, and we've accommodated that request. So we're going to be running uh, as our minimum flow this coming um, this coming uh, winter a thousand cfs. Do oh, you wow. do you guys um, publish your flow regimes ahead of time? Like Keswick will do that occasionally. You know, up to two weeks out. I've noticed. You know, I I know there was I was at a meeting today. There was some discussion about that. So I on C deck, I heard they're they're putting the forecast in on C deck. I haven't seen it oh. yet. That's uh, I think that's something very new. So um, that'd be good. Don't quote me on it, but I that's what I heard today is that forecasts were going to be going into into C deck. So that, that'd uh, be fantastic. I know there's a lot of guides probably listening that are stoked. Yeah, the um, there was an article not too long ago in the paper about the lack of salmon that showed up in the hatchery, and uh, one of the biologists mentioned, you know, maybe we need to kick the flows up in the low flow to bring some of those fish in there because they were all kind of stacked up at the outlet. Did, and did they end up doing that? Then, um, no, we, we talked about it, but we decided not to, cause we were afraid of, uh, if we did, if we did like a flow pulse to attract them up there, then yeah. when you bring the flows down, you might end up stranding fish that are, um, that are spawning out in the river channel. So, uh, right. you know, especially in the low flow channel, we're, we're sensitive to uh, doing flow reductions during the spawning period. That's where most of the, of the salmon spawn in the feather river is, is in, in the, the low, low flow channel. The low yes. flow, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so we were, we were pretty sensitive about that. So that was a concern we had. We bring the flows up, you start getting some fish spawning in the margins and then they get, they get stranded. So, uh, we, we didn't do it. Turns out we didn't need to. Yeah. Um, There's the, full of, it's full of salmon now. Right. Right. <laughs> so. Which is amazing. Um, and, and you guys did a restoration project, too, with the salmon yes, spawning beds, right? Up, we did. Up above 70? Yeah. So in uh, let me back up to uh, 2014, we did a, a, a gravel restoration I project. I remember that. Yeah, a lot of big equipment came in. Yes. And, yep. Yeah, so that was the first time there had been a, a project done on the river since the 1980s, and that was a wow. DWR project. And it was uh, related to our, our settlement agreement um, for um, the uh, relicensing of the dam. Um, once the new license is issued, we're actually going to be doing a lot more of that kind of work. We're going to be doing, um, you know, a continuing program of gravel restoration, uh, large woody debris placement, um, side channel projects, a floodplain restoration project. All of those uh, those projects will be triggered when the new license is issued. But part of that package was to do a single project of uh, gravel restoration on the river. And so that's what we did in 2014 was that kind of a standalone project. 
But since we knew we would be doing additional work once the new license was issued, we stockpiled a bunch of gravel on the bank. So we, we, we uh, or on the terrace up above the river, we had a pile of, of uh, about 5,000 cubic yards of gravel. And it was just waiting for, you know, the, right. f- the future project once the new license was issued. Well, with what happened this year, you know, the high flow event that we had and, you know, a lot of the gravel that we'd put in 2014 did migrate downstream, which is something we knew would happen during the next high flow event after 2014. We knew eventually that gravel was going to move down. That's one of the reasons why we put it in the upper end of the low flow channel. So it's that way a, yeah. it would provide benefits and move down to to uh, spawning riffles uh, further down the stream. Um, but, you know, a lot of that gravel, the material moved out with this high flow event this year. So we decided to go ahead and, you know, we had the material up in the bank. Let's get it into the river. So, um, but, you know, the problem with that was we didn't have any plans or, or, or permits, uh, you know, in, in hand already. And normally a project like this, you know, would take you a year, year and a half to get all the permits together. Right. But um, we, uh, you know, the, the fishery agencies wanted us to do it. Um, we were able to look at the, you know, recent permits that we'd already got in 2014 that were still pretty fresh as far as the, you know, the um, environmental considerations and the, and the review. And they decided what well, they could push just, them right through. They could, could extend the project. And, yeah, the Army Corps of Eng- Engineers was, was wonderful working with us. And so we were actually able to get that project in. Uh, we knew we needed to get it in before the end of August because the salmon start spawning in, in September. We didn't want to be out there with heavy equipment in the river mm-hmm. channel in September. So uh, we were very quick, you know, very quickly we were able to get in there, got the channel done very significantly. We also um, we uh, reopened um, a, a side channel called Moe's Side Channel, which is uh, on a gravel bar in the middle of the river that had been completely filled in. So it was just a, a dry gravel bar. And, is that on the north bank of the river? Um, yes, it is. I know it what is. you're talking about, yeah. And so we, we, we excavated that out, opened up that channel, and um, I just heard uh, the other day that it, it's just wall-to-wall salmon in it right now. I mean, oh, great. Hundreds and hundreds of salmon spawning in that, just that one that one section that wouldn't even have existed, you know, because it was completely filled in. There was no water flowing in it. We, we opened it up again, reestablished the flow, and the salmon are all over it. I'm so. seeing that in rivers all around Northern California that have completely changed direction, and they're d- different places, right? Yeah. Um, the biologists are down there in that section fishing for the steelhead right now and doing some tagging, I, th- I think. Yeah, I think Right. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll put uh, radio tags on them. They're trying to get more information on steelhead. Steelhead yeah. are kind of a mystery fish to, right. to get data on. Salmon are a lot uh, easier to work with because they tend to come in during the time of year. The water levels are, fl- are, are low. You, you know, the water's clear. You can, you know, get out there, mark the reds. And mm-hmm. so uh, steelhead are a lot more difficult sometimes to, uh, to be able to track and see where they go, especially later on in the winter when, you know, flows come up and you, you can't really get out there. So they put radio tags on them and then uh, they, can, they can track mm-hmm. them around. Do people need to be careful when they're waiting around in that area for on those salmon reds? They should. I mean, really, they shouldn't be waiting on the reds. You know, right. It's, you know, when, when there's eggs in the gravel, it would be best if people stayed Just off Just to stay of off of them. And that's kind of that discolored rock that's on the bottom, right? Yeah, it's, seen, it's, you'll it's see the like clean. Brown, the clean rocks. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. If, you know, if there's rock with moss on it, probably, you know, isn't isn't where there's a red. But if you see clean rock right next to 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 um, mossy rock, you know, that's where the, the red is. And, you know, you can, once you start, you start seeing, you'll recognize it. You'll see kind of the, the, um, the depressions and sure. the, uh, the, you know, the humps mm-hmm. in, in the, uh, the gravel. That was good. You had something. Yeah. It was, you know, you were talking about the, there were, there were a couple projects. There was the, the, uh, the woody debris project. There was the, the, uh, gravel project. Who can you kind of like go through the process, the decision-making process that leads Sure. Leads up to the point where you you enact a policy, I guess. Sure. You okay. Know, do you guys collect stuff from the field, and then it, you know, the field being like the get people on the water, the guides, and the I don't know the the wardens. How does that work? Like I there's I've had that question a few times myself, and I've had two guys ask me, and I'm like I don't know, but it just kind of popped in my head. But okay, sure. Well, um, so uh, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or FERC, it's at the acronym F E R C. Um, they uh, issue um, licenses to um, 
hydropower operations. Like, you know, at the Department of Water Resources in Orville, we have a, a mm-hmm. large hydroelectric project there. So we have to get this permit from the, the federal government. And so um, there are long-term permits, typically anywhere from 40 to 50 years. Um, the, the previous one, or, or I'm sorry, I shouldn't say the previous one, the current one that we have was a, was a 50-year license. And so as we're getting close to the end of the, the license term, we went through a process called uh, relicensing, FERC relicensing it's called. And so during that process, what they do is they'll start evaluating the impacts of the project on the river, and they'll come up with a, uh, you know, typically a, a plan of mitigations, you know, environmental mitigations. There's a lot more to the process than just this, but I'm just talking about the environmental side of things. Right. So, so they'll look at what the environmental impacts are, and then they'll um, determine a, a group of uh, mitigations to uh, mitigate the impacts of, of that project. So um, back during the, um, the 2000s, this is, you know, started, I think, in about 2000, 2001 or so, um, we engaged with the community and the, uh, the resource agencies, the National Marine Fisheries Service, the California Department of Fish and Game, or Fish and Wildlife. I'm, I'm an old-timer. I still call them Fish and Game. Um, <laughs> the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. NOAA? Um, uh, yes. And so NOAA, the, um, that's the, uh, the, um, the organization that the National Marine Fisheries Service is a part of. Right. So the National Marine Fisheries Service, they're the federal administrator of, uh, for aquatic species, for, for marine species. And uh, they're part of NOAA, which is in the in the Commerce Department. Okay. So uh, whereas the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is part of the Department of Interior, so um, uh, inland uh, species um, and uh, terrestrial species um, like uh, you know bald eagles, those are under the uh, the purview of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, inland trout, Lahontan cutthroat trout, those kinds of species are all um, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Mm-hmm. But because salmon and steelhead are a marine species, they fall under the National Marine Fisheries Service. And same with sturgeon. They also fall under uh, National Marine Fisheries Service, or NIMPS is their, their acronym. acronym. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so we, ha- we had these meetings um, throughout the, uh, the early 2000s. And uh, to, uh, first of all, talk about, well, how are we going to come up with an assessment of what the impacts are? So we had the, what they call it the study plan phase where we actually, of a relicensing, where you actually go through and you negotiate on what the studies are going to be. And so we probably spent close to a year just, you know, going back and forth on, you know, what the, what actual things should be evaluated, what things make sense, what don't make sense, what things apply. And uh, we developed this list of studies that we did. And so for the next uh, two or three years, we, um, we gathered data on the Feather River. And so we, you know, did a lot of fish tagging studies, a lot of surveys out on the river. This 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 massive effort to collect all of this uh, this data, and then we wrote reports from this data. And it was those reports which then were were used to make the assessment of impacts and and develop what would become the um, the uh, mitigations, if you will. The- okay, so you're they basically lay out a framework that you guys work within to create policy. Is that how? Well, you know, it's uh, you know, it's it's using all that information that we collected to you know that forms the the data set, which then um, you know we, we all you know the the different entities will will take on their roles and um, they'll they'll come up with okay they'll they'll make determinations they'll make conclusions where money and, should go to basically. Right. Yes. And so, um, you know, it's, it's um, I'm trying to figure out the best way to describe this in a condensed process. Cause it is a big, long governmental process. <laughs> it sounds like it. But we so so we also have our ultimately need to get a permit from the National Marine Fisheries Service to, to, to operate. So so the Federal Power Act that, you know, is what empowers the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission also requires that the um, if there's an endangered species issue involved, the appropriate uh, endangered species um um, agency is, is consulted. In this case, when it comes to salmon and steelhead, it's the and sturgeon. It's the National Marine Fisheries Service. So ultimately, they were going li- to issue a permit. So what we need to do is we need to come up with a program of operating our project and mitigations and everything else mm-hmm. to um, avoid getting a, uh, a determination that you're having you're you're jeopardizing the species. We don't. Right. Want, so we basically what we want to do is we want to do these these mitigations so that way we're doing a benefit to the species. And we're not jeopardizing them. Right. And so um, you know that and you know so that that's kind of is is what sets the bounds. 
And so they issue ultimately what's called a biological opinion, which is the permit. And they issue that to um, the, the federal agency, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, that becomes part of the package of the, uh, for the, uh, the relicensing. We also have a biological opinion for the terrestrial species. And so we actually got that a long time ago. We got that in 2007. It had a kind of a grace period before the new, because everyone expected the new license to be issued within, you know, five years or so. Um, it hasn't happened yet. But so, um, but the National, or I'm sorry, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service issued us a, a, a biological opinion with a set of conditions that we have to follow. And basically, they're protection measures um, for bald eagles, um, uh, valley elderberry longhorn beetles, um, the uh, uh, giant garter snakes, uh, red-legged frogs. There's, uh, you know, a list of, of different uh, species that that permit covers. And they basically set a, a group of conditions that we follow. So we, um, we do certain protections where we, we do surveys every year for bald eagles at Lake Orville. If we find a new nest, I think we have, in our, in our area, we have five uh, active bald eagle nests. And so um, we, uh, we monitor those nests. We make sure there's no construction projects that occur during the nesting period. And we have a, a set of protection measures. And so we do that with vernal, vernal pools. There's a, several vernal pool species that we have uh, that we also protect. So we do surveys every year to uh, make sure that the vernal pools that we have on the lake, or not on the lake, on our, on our project lands are being protected. Um, out around the after bay, around Lake Orville, there aren't a lot of vernal pools, but down around the after bay, around the fore bay, we have a lot of them out there. So we, we have wow. protected habit. We have over 600 vernal pools mm-hmm. out there. And we, we basically just don't allow any construction to occur out there. And we, we monitor them every year to make sure they're not being impacted. If they are impacted, then we'll go out there and, and, and address that with uh, some kind of uh, protection measures. So that biological opinion we already have, and we're, we're implementing it. The um, National Marine Fisheries Service biological opinion didn't get issued until last year, until uh, December of 2016. So uh, they, 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 you know, for a variety of reasons, they had they they delayed in the process. But in, in any event, um, we did finally get that biological opinion. So that was a part of it. But um, we, we we developed a a settlement agreement we call it of of uh, environmental um, protection measures that we had negotiated not only with the agencies with the um, you know the regulars the National Marine Fisheries Service Fish and Game the, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service but also the lo- you know the local public too because you know they're they're a big part of that process as well so they sure. had a seat at the table and that's the Chamber of Commerce that's uh, local fishery groups that's uh, you know the City of Orville um, you know Butte County there's a variety of different uh, entities that all all weighed in on that. And we developed this this settlement agreement package, and so what it was was it's, it's this list of, of things that I had mentioned earlier: the, the side channel projects, which primarily benefit steelhead and, and salmon rearing, salmon, yeah. but also the yeah. the spawning project, the um, you know the um, the floodplain project, large woody debris. So that's all part of this package, and it's basically just waiting for the new license to get issued um, to trigger um, implementing the uh, the program. So um, we've been waiting all this time because. Um, even though we had that package, it, the package still needed to be evaluated by the National Marine Fisheries Service to issue their biological opinion. And it took him from, you know, 2007 um, you know, or thereabouts until um, just 2016 for them to uh, uh, you know, finally get through and, and complete that uh, package. We had DWR had kept, you know, kind of prodding them and sending them letters and right. saying, you know, can you guys kind of hurry it up? You know, we'd like to get going with the new license. And, you know, because it got to the point we got all of our other permits and it was all hinging on getting that, uh, getting that uh, biological opinion. So your, your team will put together initiatives that you guys want to do, like the, the, uh, the Woody Debris Project, the gravel stuff. You'll bring it to this call it a fellowship of the rings if you will but you sit down with a bunch of stakeholders and then review everything all the permitting's already done or it's in process but it's just all part of the big package and then 
once it all goes through, then you guys start to execute these projects. Yeah, so that, that package, okay. that, that uh, the Lord of the Rings moment. <laughs> that, <laughs> the Fellowship. The, the Fellowship of the Rings, sorry. <laughs> that, that happened in 2006, in March of okay. 2006. And so, um, and, you know, there was uh, representatives from the National Marine Fisheries Service that were part of that package. So then that package is then handed over to another section within the National Marine Fisheries Service that then reviews it and then ultimately issued the permit that we just got last year. So it took them that long. So, so is that going to help expedite a lot of Ooh. decisions going forward? Well, it um, back in December we thought, okay, this is it. There was it, everybody has has assumed that uh, that FERC has just been sitting on the new license and they've just been waiting for this biological opinion to get issued, and that they were just going to mm-hmm. staple it to the back of the license. And said, okay, here you go. Yeah. These are your conditions and, and implement it. I mean, that was that was a, an assumption that a lot of people had because all of the other permits were in. Um, so uh, that that's where we were as of December of 2016. So um, coming into January. Um, we were starting to, you know, get ramping up, um, just making our own internal preparations. So we were expecting that new license to get issued within within a few months. We were thinking, you know, within six months of that uh, that period, and then something happened in February that uh, kind of got you know, everyone real busy. You know, at FERC and of course at DWR with the, with the spillway incident. And uh, since that time, there's actually been some some uh, locals in the Orville area that have that have sent letters to FERC saying they want FERC to delay the FERC license issuance, um, and, and wait for this forensics report. And, and you know, it's. Uh, you know, it really, it's the whole issue of dam safety. They don't have to wait. Um, the dam safety branch of FERC doesn't need to wait for um, relicensing periods once every 50 years to put new conditions on, on a licensee. They, they do that. They, can, all, they right. do it. They can do it at any time because it's, it's a dam safety issue. It's just the way that right. they function. So really, that could be a parallel process with the, the new license implementation. So um, I'm, I'm hoping that FERC isn't going to delay the, the, the license issuance based on, you know, the spillway incident because, you know, they, they certainly don't need to. Um, so we'll, we'll see. We haven't we haven't heard back. Um, FERC had some some issues in 2016 themselves with the change in the administration. Um, there um, they uh, lost some commissioners and for a period of time didn't have a full quorum to be able to make decisions on on big issues like relicensings. So um, that delayed our process. That was going to cause a delay anyways. Mm. But they do now. They have a quorum now. But um, there, um, as I said, there's been some some challenges. I know some uh, local elected officials you know have asked for the delay as well. So I'm not sure exactly how FERC will. Um, will um you know entertain that or not but um you know it's it's you know certainly uh, isn't gonna speed the process up well thank you uh, that's uh, <laughs> uh, we could do a whole episode I, just i'm sorry on that. Yeah. are you sweating yeah. at all or are you good uh, l- 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 you I, I, I get a little worked up with it just because i you know we we me and my team we've been waiting for a while to, to implement this and, and i yeah. i, I want to point out it's not just environmental projects there's a whole list of, of recreation projects as sure. well that will get triggered mm-hmm. when the new license is issued so for for a lot of reasons we, we've waited long enough I, i'd like to have this new license issued i'd like to get into this program before i retire and you know just <laughs> You know, I saw it was uh, with NIMS, you know, ter- was a going to be just a few month delay. Then it was a year delay turned into, um, you know, seven years of delay just from, you know, what was seemingly, you know, we, we always thought we were about to get it. We always thought we were about to get it. So I've seen how these things can get just lost in the in the morass of bureaucracy. So, you know, anything gets in the way, it can it can throw a monkey wrench in it and it can be well, years. That's, that's where our, our listeners years. get frustrated because, you know, they've seen the death of a thousand cuts with the drought and, you know, everything that's going on with their salmon populations in the sack and the feather in our valley. And they're just, you know, they're, I guess they're just wondering, well, is there going to be a decision made? Or are we going to do something to, you know, help, uh, you know, 
Well, we're you know, I guess the Department of Water, we're, Department of Water Resources. We're you know, right. We're crouched, right. ready to to jump into this thing. <laughs> you know, we've we've got yeah. we've got preliminary plans, and you can go to our website and actually you know look through the program, the settlement of agreement program, and you know all the oh, all wow. the you know the conditions that are in it, mm-hmm. and um you know what what you know what can be expected, and you know it's got the time you know the the schedule in there, the time frame for you know what we're going to be doing, and uh, mm-hmm. you know it's all there. We're just we're just waiting for that new license to get issued to be able to to trigger starting the program. Wow, so much goes into it. it's amazing. I mean it's. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. What do you What do you see the future of the fishery in the next couple of years? Well, um, we uh, had a um, <laughs> we had a bumper year of, of steel. And unfortunately, right. in 26, uh, 2017, the fishing you know was the opportunities weren't uh, weren't abundant during no. the yeah. ideal time just because of the uh, you know the high flows. You know, it was you know was was a hard river to fish, but uh, we did get a ton of fish back to the hatchery. Yeah. Um, the uh in fact because of the high turbidities and everything and they, they were having all these problems they were juggling with with the water quality in the hatchery because of the turbidity coming down mm-hmm. from the spillway incident um they thought they were going to lose a lot of steel headaches so they took more than they normally would thinking that they were going to be losing well it turns out they did a remarkable job to uh to keep those fish going and kept fresh water on them and uh, they actually tapped into a fire hydrant i mean that's that'd be a good story just in, in its own they they had a, they have there's a fire hydrant on the premises that they tapped into to get clean water it, although you know it's it's uh, city water, so it was uh, chlorinated. So they had to build this filtration system to get the chlorine out of it. No way. <laughs> and uh, you know it was a little bit too warm for perfect eggs, so they did mix in some of the raw water coming in. But they so they were able to mitigate the temperature. So they, they just MacGyvered the shit they out of it. Basically. MacGyvered it. You wouldn't believe what they did. It was That's it was killer. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So, but, so then they, they did so well. Now they have a bunch of extra steelhead on there. There's a lot so, of hatchery steelhead in the feather. Yeah. So, and, well, and I'm just talking about it's in the hatchery. But yeah. Right. So, and so there's there's a lot in, out in the river this year. So the, to answer your question, I think you know it's going to be a pretty good year. You know, I well, think af- after you know '96 and all those high waters, the, the fish the fishery was amazing. I mean, I remember yeah. fishing the high flow and catching steelhead. You know, early on in in the summer or early fall, I would say. Um, uh, do you see that happening? Maybe that cycle coming back. You know, it's 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 hard to say as far as you know how it's going to translate to the to the fishery. Um, yeah. You know, or you know the, the actual fishing, the angling. I can tell you that these high flow events are are very good for salmonids. Yeah. Uh, you know, we um, you know in general for juvenile um, juvenile salmonids, you know, out migration is 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 right. wonderful. You know, where they normally hit, have all those predators, and everything to deal with with when they're you know you have cold you know. Uh, uh, clear, you know, low flows going down in the delta. You know, it's it's uh, really easy for predators to pick them off. And uh, you know, this year, you know, we had all that. You know, with the the high turbidity and the you know the the outflow of, of water. I'm sure we had just fantastic out migration. So, Do you ever see pulse flows happening coming out of the dam? Just What's a pulse flow? Just like, more like just emulating the natural flows of, of nature. Oh, like just, just a big release kind of. Well. Um, the uh, normal operation for the Feather River is that uh, in the wintertime, um, we, you know, fill the lake. And so um, we, uh, you know, the flows will get down to a certain point and they'll just be stable and they'll yeah. just, you know, stay there as the lake is filling in. So um, when you have a storm event and you get a big inflow of, of water, that water just goes into the lake and fills the lake up. But, you know, the, what's released down the river is that, that low minimum flow during the wintertime. Mm. And so that's how you fill the lake up. That's where your storage comes from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what provides the cold water the following season. And, you know, so, right. um, and of course, you know, water. Farmers, well. and I mean, oh, yeah. water, water rates down south. I right. mean, there's a lot to it. So this year, though, it's going to be a little bit different because um, of, uh, you know, the issue that, uh, with the, with the spillway, spillway that we have right now, it's not uh, back to 100% of uh, capacity. So uh, we've taken other measures to protect against that. So the spillway right now is usable up to uh, 100,000 cubic feet per second. Um, when it's at full capacity, it can go up to 270. So, you know, we never want to go that high, but, you know, yeah. we have that capability if we need to, to, uh, to mitigate a flood. 
And so um, the uh, or, or to mitigate having any problems with with the dam, you're able to run it over the spillway. Mm-hmm. And so um, this year we're, we're only going to have it at 100,000 cubic feet per second. So um, because of that, we've actually kept the la- we've taken the lake lower than we normally um, right. do. It's it's, a, it's much lower, and we're going to try to hold it there as best we can. Now I say it's best we can because the the uh, the tool that we use to release water out of Orville um, Lake is the the Hyatt power plant, and so there's limitations to how much water you can flow through the power plant. So um, so we have a, an operations plan that's um, we're gonna, we're following for this coming uh, this coming winter, and um, so we're going to um, when uh, the the lake reaches a certain trigger point, I think it's 725 feet of elevation. Mm-hmm. By the way, when Lake Orville is full, it's at 900 feet. Right. Well, actually, 901 feet. We we went to 902 uh, this last year. So <laughs> anyway, I don't say 900 anymore. I have to correct myself because we actually took it to 902, but we don't want to do that. So um, we're uh, we, we we've set limits to wh- how high the lake can get. And it will trigger us to take these these extra measures. So uh, we are going to crank up Hyatt power plant uh, releases to keep the lake at uh, you know try to keep the lake before, below 725 in November December, and uh, the the, the uh, it goes up a little bit higher um, in January. And then I, the, I don't have the steps off the top of my my head. I think it was uh, 800. I think they'll um, they'll go to at a certain point. But in any event, with this new operation plan um, for the, that's just for going to be for this coming year, um, by the lake being kept lower. Um, and we're going to actually be doing some increases in flows very likely, depending on you know what the inflow does. Now, sure. you can't predict. You know, it's hard to predict what the weather's going to sure. do. But if we have big inflows um, where the lake normally would have filled up really quickly, we're going to try to mitigate that by doing some releases. So I know it's a long answer, but I think this it could be this uh, coming um, December, January, we may be doing some some flow pulses. We may be fluctuating the river more than, mm-hmm. than normal. Um, but you know, if we have a dry winter, if we have a 2015 or 2014 kind of winter, then we may not uh, we may not need to do that. But um, you know, it's, what, are the pro- uh, what are the projections? Do you know? Oh boy, I, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, I've heard that uh, you know it's it could be a little wetter first part of the winter, and yeah. then uh, the uh, the you know late winter early spring is supposed to dry out a little bit. Yeah. But um, you know, I, uh, I just saw a presentation this week from our um, our climatologist and. Uh, you know, he didn't. Uh, he said it's it's really difficult to say. Sure, he says sure. he goes he goes from meeting to meeting, telling everybody that they really can't you know predict the winter. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, they uh, I guess last year they were able to predict um, pretty well with their modeling what would happen in January when we did actually had a spill in, in January and they they predicted pretty well. And then February happened. They they applied their same models and it was co- completely off. It did not pick up what mm-hmm. you know we ended up seeing as as that uh, that crazy month of February. What what happened to the um, species or the fish that were at the base of the dam? Do you know? At the base of the dam? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they, they took a ride downstream. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they took a big ride. Got, there was turbo flush. There's, been, there's yeah. been talks of, you know, state record rainbows, and then, uh, there was those big, um, sand, what, kokanee, right? There, I guess they were... Uh, coho. Big, we, or, we, co- I'm sorry, coho, yeah. Yeah, so, well, we pl- we planted coho in Lake Orville for about 10 years. Yeah. Um, that uh, program, uh, just for some... some uh, um, well, it's a long story, but the Department of Fish and Wildlife had some uh, concerns about uh, fish getting out of Lake, getting out of Lake Orville, getting into the Feather River system. Coho are not native to the um, the Central Valley, um, and uh, they are native to the North Coast. These the fish that we were planting were from up in uh, in Washington or, or Canada, actually. Mm-hmm. And so their concern was those fish could migrate out of the lake, go out in the ocean, then come up, stray, and go into a um, a uh, you know one of our, our North Coast streams where we have um, uh, endangered species act listed coho salmon. So. They just decided it wasn't worth the, uh, you know, the, the, the risk was it wasn't worth, uh, you know, wasn't worth it. So, and we had Chinook, so we went back to Chinook, and that's what we're planting in the lake now. So we did have a species we could plant, okay. and they are the native species from the lake, so, or from the Feather River. So if they do get out, it's no problem. They're just part of the natural, uh, the natural Feather River. Can they spawn? Species. Can they even spawn? Sure, they can. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, we we don't uh, we don't sterilize the um, fish that we plant in Lake Orville. Gotcha. 
Has that did that have an impact on because uh, it used to be a great brown trout fishery? Yes. Do you um, think did that have a big impact on the on those browns? Well, um, you know, it, there there are still a few browns in Lake Orville, but they're from yeah. the tributaries that, that come down. Um, right. The uh, we never really had a very good fish brown trout fishery in Lake Orville, I and mean, we planted them every year. A lot of it was was for cosmetics. It's, you mm-hmm. know, I should say for uh, you know for. PR, you know, people like to know that they're there. We there was a small group of, of experts that you know would know how to fish for them, but they were not real easy to fish. That's one of the things I loved about the cohos is they uh, were um, they liked to to you know reside in the top uh, part of the water column, so they were easier to catch. And so um, that you know we had we had a good harvest on those, good return on on those fish. So um, you know I miss them. Chinook are, are a little harder to um, to catch than the cohos, but they're not as hard as the brown. So um, you know we still you know we still have a, have a viable fishery with the. And with there's the rainbows in there too. Yeah, there are rainbows. Uh, we don't plant rainbows, but they uh, do come down from the tributaries. So uh, you know keep in mind that in this uh, this um, 2017 winter we had um, the uh, I think about five I think it was five million acre feet of water went over the spillway, which, you know, the, the total volume of Lake Orville is three and a half million acre feet. Yeah. So, yeah. so more than the entire volume of Lake Orville went over our, our spillway this year. So wow. we, we moved a lot of water through. So a lot of fish, you know, that came from the upper system came through the lake sure. and a lot of fish that were in the lake, you know, went down, you know, and then of course there's some that are just going to hang out in the lake too. So, mm. but we saw, we saw a big exchange of water. That's for sure. That's amazing. Do you think there's uh, that steelhead genetic still in that system, you know, above the dam, do you think there's still some of those like prior to it being dammed up? You know, I we have a theory. You do? Oh, really? I'd, I'd be interested to hear it because I, <laughs> I don't think so. But uh, you know, they... well, I'm going to let Professor Nick talk okay. about his theory. Well, I, I've just I've seen some and caught some trout in those tributaries. Maybe not out of the Orville um, Lake, but other places that, and they look, I mean, identical to. They a look like mini steelhead. They look just that's what it looks like, and I just. It makes me think that, you know, all of a sudden that lake became the ocean and now they're using those rivers to move up and down in the same time frame that a steelhead would uh, to spawn. And I, I just. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's certainly possible. It's certainly possible. Um, the, uh, you know, the good thing is they're spring spawners. The, um, the tributaries to Lake Orville are not. Uh, Warm, they're cold. They're not cold. They're pretty warm. Is that they, they're pretty warm in the fall. So, yeah. so like brown trout, um, it's not like right. you know, the, the, the Lake Shasta where you have that, you know, they have those beautiful cold tributaries that come into the lake. So From Lassen, fall spa- right. Yeah. So fall spawners, McLeod River, you know, the, the upper sack, they, you know, they have a place to go and, you know, good habitat. Whereas on the, on, above Lake Oroville on, you know, the Norfolk arm, there's a, there's a dam, Big Bend Dam, which, which blocks their passage. So they can't get to the North Fork. The West Branch, uh, most of the water in the West Branch in the fall is, is uh, diverted out into um, either Butte Creek or into the, the uh, Miocene Canal. Um, the middle fork gets pretty low and, and warm. And, uh, you know, the South Fork, there's like one small tributary, um, uh, Sucker Run Creek, which, you know, provides a little bit of, of habitat. Sucker Run? Sucker Run's the name of the creek. But it's, it's just, you know, it's As a... Chad writes that down. <laughs> but then, then there's a dam on the South Fork, at, you know, at the, um, the Ponderosa Dam. So there's really not a lot of places for a fall spawner to go at a Lake Orville. So I think that's the reason why Chinook have such a tough time, and so do the, uh, the brown trout. Well, that brings up an interesting question because um, there's a project in the, a feasible um, study going on right now on, on Lake Shasta to introduce salmon back into the lake and steel and I think steelhead. I'm not sure if steelhead are part of that, but to get them moving up back into the tributaries and spawning, and they're going to trap them, bring them back down, and, and actually below the dam, and then start that process all over. There's apparently a ladder already built into the dam that those fish can go into a, a fish tank, yes. basically, and they can lift the fish all the way up Shasta Dam, put them back in the lake, and then let them try to yeah, run Yeah, at up. Keswick Dam, actually. Or at Keswick, the, the, I'm the sorry. re-regulatory yeah. right below yeah. Shasta. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it, uh, it, it has that, uh, yeah, it, it uh, was design, was part of the design where the fish can swim into that trap and actually mm-hmm. lifts them up and can load them into a truck. 
So that's that, not a part of an Oroville at all, is it? Is it? No, no, that's that's a different yeah. project. That's the Bureau of Reclamation, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know they're dealing with winter run Chinook salmon, which are uh, an endangered species. They're not just threatened. On the Feather River, the the spring run, the steelhead, the uh, the green sturgeon are, are listed as threatened species. Right. Um, on the Sacramento River, they actually have an endangered species, the the winter run. And the winter run are very, uh, they're a unique species. You know, the Sacramento River is a system that has four different runs of, of Chinook salmon. There's no right. other river in the world that has that. And, uh, yeah, so that winter run is, is, is a very interesting uh, um, component to the, the, the uh, ecosystem over there. So It's amazing. You know, so, you know, and, you know, they're, the feds have got, uh, you know, very uh, <laughs> deep pockets, I guess, to <laughs> engage in a project like that. But, you know, you look at it, you know, it endangers, you know, it's, that's, that's, a, that's a, you know, a very unique, uh, a unique fish well, over there. Well, it makes there, sense. So. They're just opening up more places for them to spawn. Yeah. So. You know, and if, in, in a declining, you know, species like that, I, I think... Give it a shot. Yeah, and they've got know? they have good habitat up there to uh, to take yeah. them to. So uh, yeah, it's an interesting program. The uh, fish passage at Lake Orville was uh, was considered, and uh, we actually decided to uh, look at a, at something at an alternative to that because uh, the tributaries, as you know, I mentioned, you know, just above Lake Orville, the, the habitat isn't very good. Um, now there is some good habitat, but you got to get you know quite a ways up because on the North Fork Arm, there's you know a series of PG&E dams right. that you know would block their passage. So, uh, but there are some pockets in that where there's some 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 good habitat. But nonetheless, you start looking at you know how much it would cost and you know the area that they have to spawn in. It's not like we have a, a McLeod River. You know, we don't have something like that. You know, above Lake Orville. Mm-hmm. So, um, but what we did was we actually developed we negotiated. This is all during that that uh, relicensing um, um, period. We uh, negotiated a, a a separate agreement called the Habitat Expansion Agreement. Where um, we would go in, and actually PG&E teamed up with us on this because if we did have fish passage at Lake Oroville and you took them up into the, the North Fork Arm, that would take them right into PG&E's um, project area. So right, right. Uh, they had an interest in this. So um, anyway, so DWR and PG&E have, have uh, agreed to um, put money into a, a, a pool, and um, this money would be used to do a, a uh, to provide habitat for a certain number of spring run. I think it's about three thousand. So we. Do, we um, did an assessment of what kind of habitat area you know could be supported up above Lake Orville. It, it was uh, about 3,000 uh, spring run Chinook salmon, 2,000 to 3,000 spring run Chinook salmon, and so um, that became the target. And so uh, um, they have a a, 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 a matrix of uh, criteria that they have for um, you know selecting where you know we, this money could go. And uh, we actually are, are that program is still going. We've had some disputes uh, with uh, with NIMPS lately with uh, exactly where that project should be. Um, you know, we think that, you know, the Yuba River is a, is a good uh, place to do that kind of restoration work to try to, you know, no get degree. the fishery going. Yeah. Um, and uh, now that I know there's discussion about, like, fish passage at Yuba. And so, anyways. Well, that, oh, is it Oki Dam? Is that, or not, um, what's that Oh, Daguerre. Daguerre Dam. Yeah, yes, it, yeah, in that area above there. I mean, it looks, just looking at that thing, it looks like it needs to be kind of broken down and redone i just right and that's that's what that's the what ladder is not even in the water when you're looking at it so the analysis looked at you know getting fish in that you know to that upper area above daguerre dam and actually doing a big restoration project to uh, to improve the habitat up there for uh, mm-hmm. for spring run chinook salmon which also benefits steelhead so um that you know and so right now that you know that's that 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 process is, is proceeding. It's just uh, at, a, at a you know at a crossroads right now of like uh, you know between the National Marine Fisheries Service and, and PG&E and DWR and kind of where the where the um, projects should go. So, um, but anyways, so that uh, but my point is I wanted to say that we uh, we did address fish passage at Orville during the relicensing, and that's what we decided to do was go with that mm-hmm. habitat expansion mm-hmm. agreement. It brings it. You said sturgeon. I, I we heard rumors that there was a, a big ball of sturgeon um, stacked up at the fish barrier dam. There were there were they were spawning there. Um, we actually did is, some. That, some is that, they don't really go that far up typically, right? They, not normally. You know, nor- we stop have, at the outlet or right. We have you know. seen them at the outlet hole, but uh, because of the uh, you know the 
wet winter that we had and all the high flows, they were at the hole right there at the base of the fish barrier dam. So, mm-hmm. you know, they like that deep pool uh, habitat and, um, you know, they, they had exactly what they needed. They had the good flows and it was during the time of year when they could spawn. So we actually had uh, spawning observed there and we um, were able to... Did they to, put nets down? To... They did. They, or or the, the samplers, they, they did right. sample um, their um, their eggs there and we actually caught a juvenile um, caught a juvenile fish. So, uh, oh, wow. so we know that they, you know, did get a spawn off. So... It was uh, it was a pretty remarkable year. I've never heard or seen anybody catch a juvenile sturgeon on like a fly or. Anything <laughs> well, yeah, this like was that. some kind of a of a trap. I don't know if it was like a cone trap oh, or what, right. but they uh, yeah. it was the first it was the first one I'd ever actually seen in the, from the Feather River. So that was uh, that was really neat. It was a it was a very interesting year, and I know that you know striped bass fishery was was dynamite downstream. Yeah, you know, in addition to just the the fantastic fishing uh, salmon fishing that they had uh, for fall run out of the uh, especially at the Thermal After Bay Outlet. I yep. heard I heard of clients catching you know two and three or, or going out and catching two and three limits a day. Yeah, in other words, they go out in the morning with a, with a group of clients, catch limits, take them back, pick up another group at lunch, take them out. What you do know, you think about limits. that? I think it's great. Yeah, I, I think it's great. I, you know, if uh, you know, the, the fishery can certainly support it. Um, there's years where they uh, people they, are upset. They think that they're just basically raping the river. But I mean, biologists at the hatchery are saying, no, you need to do that because we can't support that many fish. Well, absolutely. You know that. You know, as mm. long as they get the egg taken in, in the hatchery, and there's plenty yeah. of fish naturally spawning up there. You know, yeah. the, the rest of I, I see no problem with someone going out and catching a bunch of fish. I we think it's we interviewed Fish Bio here, and they they basically said that. I mean, the salmon. It's just a perfect. Um, basically balance of those fish being in the river, right? If there's too little, it's bad for the ecosystem. There's too many, it's bad, but that... Yeah, I call it the carrying capacity of the river. Absolutely. And, you know, you know, one of the problems you have is is if you get too many of them spawning in, in a, you know, a, a small area, they start digging up each other's uh, reds. And, you know, the spring run, which are the, the listed species, the, um, you know, the threatened species, they're the first ones to put eggs in the gravel. So, um, you know, the, if you get too many fall run coming up behind them, they're going to, you know, turn up the, and, and yeah. actually, you know, dig up the reds. And so the, the, the spring run take an impact from that. So, And the spring run aren't, aren't impacted by this uh, form of fishing we're talking about. Right? No, no, because this is the, the uh, spring run by then have already, um, um, you know, moved up in the low flow channel for the most part now there are going to be a few spring run that are down in that that area by the outlet but there's you know the the low flow channel is not open to fishing for salmon anymore so um you know they they've got six or seven miles of of uh, uh no salmon fishing zone um the, the spring run do so you know there's there's plenty of fish up there um or, or normally there is there's plenty of habitat up there this year they actually had a pretty light run on uh, on spring run unfortunately but um the uh you know, the, the, something else I want to point out is a lot of those fall run. That, you know, when the hatchery reaches its its uh, quota, um, their their egg quota, um, there's a certain point where they're not using those fish anymore. So they just get end up getting killed in the hatchery. So I'd much rather have them get uh, get caught by anglers that can you know can can use them, them and eat yeah. them and you know yeah, yeah, support the guiding industry. Absolutely, and, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I think I think I think it's a great thing. It's a, it's a bit of a shit show down there. <laughs> oh, I know. I, you know, it's you know, it is what it is. It's you know, it's, it's entertaining. You know, it's. Uh, yeah. I used to back in my young days. I used to join the crowd. I you know, I throw lures after. I wasn't a bead fisherman, but I. Right. Uh, right. You know, it was. Uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, it's it's not as bad as it looks for the most part. You know, I, think it, I didn't realize that seventy percent of the um, salmon in in the river system are coming out of the hatchery. That's correct. I think it's actually a little bit more than that. It depends on the year, but um, yeah, it's. So uh, if we didn't have a hatchery, we would have no fishery. Yeah, on the feather, that's for sure. I, I'm not sure about the other rivers, but. Uh, well, they trucked all those salmon down to the delta three years ago this year, right? Uh, I think it was, and the, so the, the return. I, this is the first year I'd never caught. I didn't catch a salmon on the sack. Oh really? Well, that I can as long as I can remember, they were there, but just not in. Not in the numbers. Yeah, I'm so. not sure what's what's going on in the Sac River this year, but it's uh, it's not very good. I mean, the run is is really poor. Yeah. Mm. 
but the you know the um I want to say you know one of the things that we you know we recognized this you know a while ago just the the uh, dominance of the hatchery fish on the uh, the Feather River so that's why so much of what we're looking at as far as uh, you know mitigations in our our uh, settlement agreement package for the when the new license is issued is is targeting wild fish trying to get more you know natural spines so that's why it's you know sure. gravel supplementation it's you know rearing habitat side sure. channel habitat you know that's why we were looking for you know those kinds of projects because we're trying to increase that natural production and hopefully at some point be able to reduce you know the the numbers of fish we're planting from the hatchery so that begs the question if um there's no wild fish coming up you guys put down these gravel beds make the habitat good how do the wild fish know that that work's been done could you re, re, I, I missed the first part so of the question. I, I guess if there's hardly any wild fish coming up and you guys are doing all the the environmental work to to make those to make it more habitable for them to come up in into those reaches and do their thing and do their thing <laughs> um let's say that that works now done how do those fish know to come up in numbers to like actually utilize that that work well, the you know, and when we say that there's not you know a lot of, of wild fish, it's really more of a of a percentage thing. So you know, it's just okay. that there's so many hatchery fish. So there still are, are some numbers of, of wild fish, but you know, we're hoping over time that you know, the, and you get a certain amount of the hatchery fish that are spawning in you know in the in the in, the, in that population as well. We're hoping that you know the, the the naturally produced offspring are going to be able to then come back and over time. You know, increase that percentage of of the. I of see the what you're saying. I took fish. you too literal the first time. I just assumed there were no wild fish coming up. And okay, got it. Why? So the hatchery fish are going into the Yuba. You know, I mean, do you do, is that tracked all the different fish that are kind of you know ending up in like the American or the Yuba or like fish that were yes you know released yeah, we, from the feather. I mean, I, there's tracking systems. Right. Sure. Yeah, we have, we we um, have tags we put on a, a percentage of the of the fish um, all the fall run. Um, there's a percentage of, of tags. And that's that program's been going on for uh, quite a what while. What about so steelhead uh, or the steelhead? The steelhead um, there are marked. So they they cut the adipose fin off. But um, a long time ago they stopped putting tags in them because the steelhead um, are not uh, typically killed when they're or they're spawned. They're put back in the river. So the way you get the tag, and when I talk about a tag, I'm talking about these little nose tags. Right. They, they mm-hmm. inject into the, the nose biologists part. are going around and cutting the heads off of the right. salmon and collecting right. that data. Uh, right. So it works. Well, for you know, again, I mentioned at the beginning of the interview about the um, you know the difficulty to study steelhead. Sometimes you know salmon are a lot easier just because you, you know can they see them rotten right there. The, yeah. yeah, they die after they spawn, so yeah. you can go out and you can count the carcasses. You get good numbers, um, and uh, you also you know we, we get those uh, those tags back. So you know we have a good idea of, of uh, what you know where those fish are going now. Um, the spring run uh, DWR actually tags 100 percent of the spring run. So um, from from the feather river fish hatchery. So um, so we you know we have um, you know you know good data on on the spring run too. It was neat. The fish bio guys are talking about an um, actual. Um, I can't even forget, forget the name of it. It's on their website, but it'll actually know when a steelhead or a juvenile has been eaten by a predator by the the enzymes in the stomach. It oh, really? Has a certain signal that can. Have you heard heard about this at all? Yeah, or? yeah. There's a lot of really interesting you know New tracking technology methods they have. Yeah, by up. looking at you know chemistry and their their otoliths, right. and I mean there's there's a lot of really interesting. Uh, Do you think techniques? striper have a big impact on? Oh, I think so. I, you know, I think it's just stripers, but you know, there's uh, they, they it. Yeah, that. absolutely. You know, predation. You know, clear water. You, your fear of fish that's two inches long. You yeah. know, you're you're going to be nailed by you know a lot of a lot of species going down the river. I think instead of trucking those fish down into the delta, they should have just. You could have hired a group of guys to follow that bait ball down. You know, down the river, and if striper started boiling, just you well, know, <laughs> clean them out of there. You know, <laughs> they, they would have naturally made their way down and then hopefully made their way back well, up. Maybe, you know? the, yeah, maybe the biologists should be getting together with the anglers and <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of work something out. That's I, a really good idea. I, 
it just makes sense. You know, the fish obviously didn't respond very well to that that whole plan. So yeah. So Eric, a, a lot of our listeners and even people that I talk to are somewhat confused on how. <laughs> how the uh, whole system is set up between the dam and the forebay and the afterbay, that water going into the feather back in that, the outlet, and what the purpose of all those different you know structures and waterways are for. Um, I know like when 67, when they built the dam, there was uh, basically a contract with the farmers, right, that would yes. kind of say, hey, if you're going to do this, all this cold water is going to start coming out of the dam. Well, we have you know rice that needs to germinate at a certain temperature, um, right. I mean, is that, yeah. Yes, when it comes into those, when it comes to those rice checks and it's too cold, you basically, it's not good for rice. So that was, so you'll have full, full correct, like yeah. plains of rice that won't grow in those sections. So that was the purpose of creating the after bay basically. And would you just explain well, that a little sure, bit? Sure. Sure. So, um, it's, uh, you know, the, the, those two water bodies are, um, you know, reservoirs, they, um, are what's called re-regulatory reservoirs. So when you have a hydroelectric project, um, the uh, demand for electricity goes up during the daytime. So um, people turn in the summertime in California. People are turning on air conditioners. They're you know running businesses, and you know so in in the uh, you know afternoon, especially when it's getting hot, there's a, a big um, demand of uh, of power. So um, one of the nice things about hydroelectric power is you can uh, if you can increase the amount of flow through your your penstocks you can you know increase um, your uh, your power output and so um, you can you know generate more power when you need to and um, so what we do is we um, will um, they call it power peaking and so there's uh, certain times of the day where we'll crank up our generation and we'll run more water through our penstocks increase the uh, the generation to match that that demand and then at night, you know, we, we'll, we'll ramp down or sometimes even turn the, the, um, the, the generators off for a period of time, and um, we're not running any water through our penstocks. Which are located? Okay, so they're located um, kind of under Orville Dam. They're, right. they're part of the, 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 the powerhouse is actually built under Just Orville Dam. massive turbines, right? Yeah, massive turbines. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we can run, uh, when we're at, um, you know, full lake level, we can run 17,000 cubic feet per second through our power plant. So... Um, but that's but but doing that kind of power peaking isn't good for your river, right? So you you wouldn't want your river to go from you know uh, you know two hundred cfs to you know seventeen thousand cfs, and that's what you would get if you were power peaking and just just charging that water directly into a river. Sure. So um, for in in you know for hydroelectric power, you have a, a re-regulatory reservoir downstream of your your primary um, generation um, plant. And you're able to generate that electricity and run that water into those lower reservoirs, and they'll fluctuate. In fact, if you've been out in the afternoon, you've probably seen that during the summertime. Sometimes it'll come up over the course of a week mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you know be really high, and then you know it can you know go down over the weekend. But it just allows us to make more steady releases down the Feather River, but we can still okay. we can still power peak. So you need to have that downstream reservoir or what's called a, a re-regulatory reservoir. Well, so that's that's one purpose that, that it serves. The main purpose. Well, I you know I, 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 they're multi purposes. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they they came up with a project that provides benefits to you know for a variety a variety of different users. Mm -hmm. So so you have that you have that uh, need for a re regulatory reservoir downstream. We also um, at the time you know the uh, agriculture the the rice fields and, and your know, orchards you know they've been around long before Lake Orville came around. You know, mm -hmm. Orville was built during the 1960s. Well, you know they've been farming rice out there since you know 1910. And so um, the uh, the senior water rights holders on the Feather River are those those uh, water districts: Western Canal Water District, Biggs West Gridley. You've got Richvale Irrigation District, Sutter Butte. You know, there's there's these these districts over there, and uh, so they have senior water rights. 
So when we were going to come in and build our project, we had to make sure that we, you know, kept them whole, that they would still be able to get their water. And they used to actually, they used to have dams in the Feather River. They had these these small flashboard dams, like the one you see in Redding. You can kind of see the remnants of them, yeah. On the yes. Side of, so if yeah. you float the low flow channel, you get right below that uh, tra- trailer park, or it's above the trailer yep. park, I guess. Yep. There's that, you know, Western Canal. That was the, the those big boulders in, in the stream. That's uh, the old uh, footings for the dam. Uh, and so, you know, it was a flashboard dam, and um, so it would divert water into the Western Canal. So um, we... Uh, we now make their deliveries to those canals from the afterbay. So water gets diverted from, um, you know, goes through the power plant at Orville Dam, goes into the diversion pool, the, you know, what the, the pool of water that got filled up with that sediment that's at the base of our spillway during the, the spillway incident. Well, the, that's the diversion pool. That water goes down. And just above the city of Orville, there's a, 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 dam, a dam called our Thermolito Diversion Dam, mm-hmm. and it diverts water into a canal. And if you're driving on Highway 70 and you go across that canal right there by the North Four Bay, that's where the the power canal we call it uh, dumps the water into the Four Bay. The water goes um, the Four. Fairly four, cold. It's very right? cold. Yeah, at that yeah. point it's very cold. Yeah. So it's it, it's in the Four Bay. It uh, flows through the Four Bay. Um, the Four Bay is kind of hourglass shaped. So that area you see right off of Highway 70 is called the North Four Bay. It's a big recreation area. That's mm-hmm. another benefit. So we have a, what's called a multi-purpose uh, project, and sure. recreation is a big part of that. So we have recreation facilities right there, and then. Um, the, uh, there's the South Four Bay, which is down by where the Thermolito power plant is. The water then runs through that power plant, goes through another canal, and goes out to the after bay. And it's from the after bay that we then um, we make those diversions. We actually send water out to the Western Canal, to Richvale Canal, to the Sutter Butte, to, you know, big, or actually, yeah, so Sutter Butte, Western, and uh, Richvale, the three big ones. And so uh, we make those releases there. So the afterbay actually provides some warming because it's a pretty shallow, shallow reservoir, large yes. yeah, reservoir. Y- yes, shallow. Right. So it, it does provide some some warming um, for that water before it gets out to the uh, the rice fields. However, um, back when um, the Chinook salmon became listed on the endangered species list, um, steelhead became listed. DWR started getting these requirements to keep the the river temperatures colder for these uh, these endangered species act listed fish, and so because of that. Um, we started releasing water from deeper in Lake Oroville. So even the water that gets out to the after bay, it's still pretty darn cold. Even mm-hmm. when it gets it gets released from, from uh, the, you know, it's, it sits in, in the sun. It doesn't sit that long. And, and so the water that's going out to the rice fields is uh, is still pretty um, pretty cold. So actually the Department of Water Resources has um, has uh, reached an agreement with the, uh, the rice farmers where we actually um, have a, a process to determine the impact of our cold water on their um, rice um, every year. And we actually reimburse them for those uh, mm-hmm. those costs. So we actually um, worked out an agreement with them. It's a, it's a separate agreement. I've actually seen the information system, visual, the data visualization model that they use. Oh, you have? To, okay. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, very, very like complicated. crazy algorithm they kind of came up with together. And they it, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, so it uses satellite imagery and mm-hmm. um, can uh, can tell you know the the you know the the uh, starting to use drones I think the pan- too. Panicle de- well, th- this is just a, it's a satellite image they take in in July and uh, uh, okay so it, it's, it's like a thermal yes thermal satellite image oh, wow. and then there's also some uh, an algorithm that I believe does projections in how far out in the plane it's going to go inside of a rice check it's right so they crazy. can they can actually not just look at the temperature of the water but they can they can figure out you know the effect it's having on the on the rice. Um, um, rice germination and so um they then uh, will also do some uh, at, at harvest time they actually go out they have some gps devices on harvesters and they can tell by how much rice is being harvested they'll kind of use that to verify you know if they were right and you know what the image was was telling them yeah looking at yields on the on yeah. the actual interesting plane of impact i guess you you would say correct yeah so yeah. then then um, so we, once we get that we figure out what the impact was in that year but the price of rice fluctuates every year right so then we have to wait actually have we have a whole nother process to determine the price of rice and then we apply it to that year and then we uh, so they the, get offsets basically yeah so the department yeah. reimburses them for that 
So um, anyway, so that, that so that's how we, we made them whole. And that actually was another aspect of the relicensing that came out was was a side agreement that DWR did with the uh, with the rice farmers. So um, so with the um, you mentioned extra steelhead being in the hatchery, are those gonna? Yes. So um, they um, with all of those uh, extra steel that they have right now that are uh, growing at the hatchery, they're uh, looking for places that for them to go. So they're going to be able to make the full um, planting allotment to the Feather River for you know the, the anadromous program for the Feather River um, steelhead program. Mm-hmm. And then with these extra fish, they're going to take a, a certain amount of them. I think about fifteen thousand fish. And plant them in the Thermalito after bay. Wow, that's. I think the last time you guys did that was ten ten thousand. Was it ten? You know, I think that's that sounds about right. The the previous one that they yeah. did. Um, and so last year, well, last year we didn't have steelhead. There weren't enough um, steelhead to plant in the after bay. They had chinook salmon, so they they planted chinook salmon out in the after bay for the first time. So um, the uh, but you know when we we, we have extra steelhead, we try to do yes. Yeah, so that was you know we we didn't have the steelhead. We did have some extra. So there's salmon. twenty pound salmon swimming around out there. Well, I, <laughs> there could be. <laughs> so no, they probably wouldn't be quite that big. There's yet. a lot of hex out there. Fifteen thousand fish. Are they just they become residents? Well, some or do they have some a do. Um, we don't we don't know a lot about those fish yet. You know, certainly a lot of them will go out of the after bay outlet back out to the Feather River, which is fine because okay. they are the Feather River steelhead. So um, the uh, you know we certainly know that 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 happens. And so there is a passage out of there. Yes, there is. Okay. Yes. So the the place where all the salmon fishermen like to uh, to fish that's mm-hmm. the um, the the river outlet from the after bay. So water doesn't get diverted out to the rice fields. Gets goes out of that outlet. Right. And goes back out to the Feather River. So, um, but the but the ones you know there are a certain amount of them that stay in the lake and actually grow uh, grow quite large. And uh, there's a, a tremendous hexagenia hatch uh, throughout the summer out at the uh, the Huge. after bay and. So I haven't uh, figured it out. They're out there. So, but, but. Yeah. Where do they hold? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know a lot about the fishery. I, I, I don't fish killer, it myself. I, I, <laughs> go out there and it's a tough fishery. There, I've seen thousands, bigger, the largest hex hatch I've ever seen out there and compared to like Almanor and other places. And, and there's no fish eating them. I don't, I don't, I didn't get it. I don't know. And I know their fish are there. I just, maybe yeah. I just I don't know. I haven't figured it out. Maybe I was in the wrong spot. Yeah, well, there's also you know tremendous pond smelt population out there, or, or Wakasagi smelt. So um, that which is the same thing as a pond smelt, and um, they uh, yeah. So so who knows? Maybe they're they're keying in on them. I, I I don't know. Sounds like we got our own little mini delta out there, and we didn't even know it. So those state record rainbows that I heard so much about are they could they potentially be in the after bay or fore bay or are they are they in the could they be in the main stem of the feather? I mean. Well, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, they've got a they got a big forage base out there, so yeah. uh, in the after base. So, um, so that know. could happen this year. Somebody yeah, could catch it. I can a... literally see the gears turning in his head. You know, I know a lot of people like to fish. You know, where the uh, canal uh, comes in, the tail race channel sure. comes into the right there at the Wilbur sure. Road boat ramp, and yep. uh, you know, along the rock wall, I've heard um, is uh, a lot of cold water right there. there, so it's they're happy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and that's they. They're also planted there. So, uh, fish, fishing game told me they're gonna they're gonna um, move around a little bit when they plant this year, not just plant them all in the same spot. See if that that helps uh, spread the fish around as well, well. We're gonna hit the stop record button and talk about more secrets here <laughs> with Eric C. And, and thanks a lot for coming in and oh, and thanks talking, for having me and this, talking this with us. Yeah, we really appreciate lot, it. Um, yeah, I know there's just a lot of unknowns about what, what what happened over there, and thanks for just clarifying and educating us. Absolutely, appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Awesome. So uh, your department's website, how can people get a, a, hold, a hold of you and, and whatnot? Are you guys on social media and stuff like that? Well, uh, Now's your time to plug if you want. <laughs> I, I know if you if you, www, if you just do a Google search, you can get the, to the California Department of Water Resources. Um, we have a lot of, uh, I, I, you know, I think fantastic uh, footage um, and, uh, and content, um, videos, and uh, time-lapse uh, photography of the spillway. So uh, there's, a, there's a whole page dedicated to that. So, uh, you know, that's a good place to go. 
Um, as far as social media, I'm not savvy enough in that world to be able to give you a good direction there. But I think from that site, you should be able to to get what you'll need. So, thanks for coming on, Eric. All right, you bet. Thank you. All right, we'll see you on the water. All right, fish on. This podcast would not be possible without support from our sponsors, Fish Bio and Amped Up Build. Fish Bio is a consulting firm that offers a fresh approach to fishery science. They specialize in fish research, monitoring, and conservation with innovative uses of technology and communication. From their offices in Chico, Oakdale, and Santa Cruz, California, to Vienchen, Laos, Fish Bio is committed to solving natural resource challenges locally and globally. Learn more at www.fishbio.com. And Amp.Bill. Amp is a software design and engineering shop located in Chico, California. Amp creates beautiful apps for mobile and desktop devices, wearables, and the Internet of Things. Amp develops native, web, and hybrid apps on a variety of platforms. Chad, who co-hosts this podcast, is the agency's founder. Learn more at www.amp.build.